This episode of the VentureForth podcast is sponsored by White Rabbit. White Rabbit is a browser plugin that opens access to a global content library without the need to subscribe. White Rabbit makes content accessible to everyone by allowing viewers to compensate rights holders directly while streaming from whatever P2P site they prefer. White Rabbit's pre-sale whitelist is currently underway with plans to issue the MVP in Q1 2018. Head over to whiterabbit.one to sign up for the newsletter and whitelist. That's whiterabbit.one to join the new digital streaming reality. Hello and welcome to the VentureForth Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Mahavutivani. We'll be chatting with some of the most interesting founders, startups, and VCs about the experiences that led them to where they are today, what they're currently working on, as well as the journey ahead of them. Hey, VentureForth listeners. ICO season is heating up despite the roller coaster we've been experiencing in the crypto markets these last few weeks. My guest today is Fred Kruger, co-founder and CEO of Troop Market and WorkCoin. They're holding their own ICO in a few weeks, and I'm interested in sharing his story, particularly because up until December, I was working on a similar project in the space and know the challenges and the opportunity well. Fred has been a 10-time founder with multiple exits in the social networking, advertising, casual gaming space, and now disrupting the future of freelancing with his latest projects. Fred, welcome to the show. Uh, Well, thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, like I said, you've been a successful multi-time founder. So before we dive into your latest project, I'd love to kick things off by learning about your background and history as an entrepreneur. Thanks. I've been an entrepreneur since the 1990s, and I started in pure software, and I built uh, one of the first paint and photo retouching programs around, which was sold to Macromedia, and then Macromedia was sold to Adobe. So that was the first... uh, the first foray into that, and that product lived on as a Adobe Fireworks uh, until very recently. And I've done a number of advertising and game startups over the years, some which were very large. So iWin.com was the largest game site on the Internet. We had 30 million users for that site, as an example. Completely remember that one. I, uh, I don't know if I was a customer, but I was definitely a user. <laughs> cool. So you've been through the startup cycle many times now, starting businesses back to back to back of each other and, and seeing your shares of success and, and I guess some of those challenges as well. What inspired you to start, I guess, what possessed you to start another business instead of becoming a VC or taking a break? Well, first of all, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm better at uh, executing than I am at investing, although I've done my share of investing as well. Uh, but I think that there's a huge opportunity. I saw this huge opportunity in blockchain and specifically token world. And basically the opportunity is this. The biggest problem with marketplaces right now is that you have credit card fraud. So if you are taking in credit cards, there is some chance that those credit cards are are fraudulent. In which case the uh, seller gets paid, but uh, you, the marketplace, are left on the hook. And that is a huge problem in general for marketplaces, but specifically for freelancing. And so that's where I saw the opportunity. If instead of taking credit cards in as the primary means of funding, if it was blockchain tokens, then you have suddenly a much, much lower fee structure because you don't need to worry about fraud. So what is True Market and the WorkCoin? And I guess ultimately, why is its own token needed instead of using, let's say, Bitcoin or Ethereum to pay? 
Right. So there's there's a couple reasons for that. Well, let's start with how it works, right? So the first thing is, if you have a token as a starting point, then you can as a have a as I said a lower, a much much lower um, fee structure. And what this allows you to do is allows you to be transparent about the various people on the marketplace. So if you go to, for example, Upwork or Fiverr, which are two very successful marketplaces, and you type in, I'm looking for, you know, a mobile app programmer. You're going to get a guy named Fred K. But Fred K is not the same as Fred Krueger, who you can look up and you can see by my LinkedIn that I've started all these companies, that I am actually know what I'm talking about on blockchain, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Fred K is just, is sort of, it might be, and a 13-year-old in Pakistan, for all you know, you know. So this model does not work for any kind of high-end stuff. You're not going to be hiring a lawyer based on a pseudo profile and a pseudonym. You're going to need to know. You're going to want to look at their website. You're going to want to see, okay, this is a law firm. You know, you might want, if you're going to hire a marketer, you're going to need to know that, you know, where did they work? You know, did they work at Microsoft? Okay. That's that's different than if they're you know a college student. So the concept of true identity only becomes possible if you have really low fees and that you can expose those fees. You can't do it with high fees because other people will go around you. So we have actually built that product, and actually today we are going to be showing our first on TruthMarket.com. We will have the first, I would say, very early. And it's not a full full thing, but it's a, a functioning product where you can buy a service with Ether. You put Ether in, get work coin, buy a product, check out, rate the service provider, and the service provider can get work coin that they can then transfer for Bitcoin or Ether or anything else, or or cash for that matter. You know, there's no natural coin to start with, right? So Ether is not ideal. Bitcoin is not ideal. There's no any one coin, and especially right now, you know, Bitcoin dropped 10% today, right? And you don't want to be in a situation where your core currency is tied to macroeconomic events like, you know, like today or, or, or the last couple of weeks or, or on the other side on the way up. So you want to have your currency that's really part of an ecosystem that uh, that you can control. And as long as you can take that currency and convert it out to other currencies and dollars and ether, that's the ideal world. Interesting. So I definitely want to get to the price fluctuation aspect of this, but really like I think redefining how work gets done seems like one of those really obvious use cases for blockchain, so much so that I, I started pursuing a project myself, uh, essentially Mechanical Turk on the blockchain. Right. I've I've seen quite a few projects pursue this market. You know, so I'm I'm kind of curious because it is so obvious. What makes True Market different, and is the hope that the WorkCoins application goes far beyond the True Market platform? Yes. Yeah, so there there is that hope. Uh, but the first thing is let's let's talk about the the focus, right? So you mentioned Mechanical Turk. Mm-hmm. And all the systems, every single one of them that's out there, really focuses on kind of what I'd call the commoditization of work, right? So it's like, do this task, make money. You know, design a very cheap logo, make money. Get the get an app done in the cheapest possible way and make money. So it's a race to the bottom, right? So I'm not interested in that market so much as I'm interested in the market for expertise, expert advice, expert services, a patent lawyer, you know, an Ethereum smart contract auditor, 
you know, a person, you know, with your skills, with my skills, and that could give advice over half an hour on chat. So I think the whole target market is completely different than the, you know, I don't know how many other projects there are that I've seen. I won't, I don't want to bash, you know, competing projects, but there are a lot of projects which are, let's create a very sort of simplified version of Upwork and let have people list their things in Ethereum. And I don't think that really is a compelling use case, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I guess in, in terms of my project, we sort of found that as well, which is why we specifically wanted to kind of focus on machine learning training. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think that there are opportunities, potentially in niches, but sort of this this general broad brush of, of repainting work, I, I, I do agree with you that not only is it not compelling, but, you know, especially in the market today, you really need to do what, what you can to stick out. Well, here's the thing. Like, if you if you ask yourself, can I find a cheap logo designer? That problem, I would say, is solved, right? Mm-hmm. Can I get 100 Twitter followers for, you know, fake Twitter followers for $100? Yes, I can do that. There's a way to do that. Now, ask yourself the following question. Can I get a company formed in the British Virgin Islands for $2,000? Try solving that problem. You know what I mean? Do it. Try going to Google and searching for a company incorporation British Virgin Islands, and you're, you know, you're just going to get websites that you're going to go search for, email, call, etc. So that's an unsolved problem. Try getting your patent filed very inexpensively, other than through legal Zoom, through just basically somebody that you, you really don't even have the name of a lawyer. That's an unsolved problem. So I'm interested in the vast majority of these problems that are unsolved. Try getting an advisor for your ICO, that like Miko Matsumura. Try getting somebody who's an expert to actually read your white paper and comment. These are unsolved problems. So I'm not interested in in redoing what somebody else is doing on the blockchain. I'm interested in solving these unsolved problems, which we can do if we have true identity and a kind of final way of paying with tokens and prepaying with tokens. Interesting. Previously, you mentioned maintaining the control over the ecosystem and the price of the token, um, namely not using like Bitcoin, you know, because it drops so much today to pay for those services. And this is actually a, a problem that we kind of noticed as well. And I'm curious to hear your answer. But how, how would you maintain the stability of the coin while the work is being done? Ah, OK, so first of all, let's talk about our model. We don't the, the, the service provider is listing their service in their local currency, right? They're not listing their service in WorkCoin. Because if I'm, let's say I'm a lawyer, I might charge $200 an hour. I'm not charging 2,000 WorkCoins an hour, you know, with some fluctuation. I'm charging $200 an hour. Now, if you can bring me some, a, a customer for an hour and that they'll pay me the equivalent of $200, I'm in. I'm not going to charge some ETH or some Bitcoin price. So we're putting the price itself of the service in local currency. And that, that could be dollars. If the person's in Japan, it's yen, et cetera. We're then translating that to a fluctuating work coin price. Now, if a person comes in to buy, buys the exact amount of work coin necessary, buys the service, at that point, the person buying has no risk whatsoever on the coin, Okay. Neither does the service provider, because once the service is locked in, we take the risk. And we're going to give that service provider the equivalent amount of work coins at the end of the service, if they've completed it successfully, 
that uh, that represent the local currency amount that they requested. So nobody has any nobody has any by default any uh, currency or work coin exposure. Okay, so so one of the, the ways that we we're trying to solve this was using um, like a stability coin, and yeah, um, is that something that you guys were considering? Um, so when we start, so this is how we're going to start. So starting, and initially our project will be, and when I say initially, I mean today, mm-hmm. it will be uh, work coin pegged to the dollar, right? So 100% pegged to the dollar. A work coin is 10 cents. That's what we're going to start out with today. And you can buy these work coins, service provider does it, you get a thousand work coins, that's a hundred dollars, you can cash out for a hundred dollars. Now, what we're going to do after the ICO is it's going to float. And what we want to do is we want to be proactive about, A, protecting it on the downside, kind of like with Bancor, you know, kind of using our reserve tokens to buy back tokens if it goes too low. But also on the upside, if it starts, you know, jumping too much, We'll have additional coins that we can issue that will be part of our uh, unissued reserve that we might issue to counterbalance the, the price to make it go up not so much. So our goal is to have a steadily appreciating price, but we're, we don't love the idea of massive volatility. Definitely. Neither do we love stable coins either. I mean, those things, everybody's gotten into a lot of trouble and in a lot of machinations around you know, economic policy and stuff for these stable coins. I'm not convinced. Have you bootstrapped the project to date or raised VC money to kickstart things? So our, our thing is very complicated. So we, we actually have several VCs in our project, Upfront Ventures being one of them. It's the largest VC in LA. Another very large VC in Germany called Wellington Partners. And we have a whole host of private investors who are equity investors, right? So... You know, and and have have invested up till recently into kind of what we're doing and and, and so on. So we we have this equity investor group, and then we have now are we are for the first time doing a token sale, and we have started to get some pre-sale commitments now for that. So it's a little different than most people, and we're doing it a little differently. We're gonna we're gonna come out with our app first before I, our ICO, et cetera. So it's not your typical ICO by any stretch of the imagination. For those equity investors, then, presuming that tokens aren't on the cap table, how should an investor or VC value a crypto company? Well, it all depends, right? So first of all, a lot of these crypto companies, they're sort of set up so that the equity has no value, right? So if you're sort of saying, I'm giving away everything for free and I'm not taking any revenue, um, it's not clear what the equity is worth. In our case... We see ourselves as a for-profit company that is trying to keep low margins, just like Amazon is trying to keep low margins. And the fact that we're raising money through tokens will only make the equity more valuable. And all our equity holders see that. Now, on the other hand, the equity investors and token investors are, at this point, kind of different animals, as you probably know. So if we can get significant traction for this app, I believe the equity will be worth a lot, and I believe the token will be worth a lot. That's all I can say. On the other hand, I think many crypto companies, uh, you know, they're very against equity, and they're very sort of against setting this thing up as a business. And I think that's a very dangerous, dangerous uh, way to go because, you know, at the end of the day, you can raise, even if you raise $20 million in an ICO, you'll spend that money, and then what? 
And having raised many times $20 million, I do know that you, you know, you raise the money, you're going to have some tendency to spend the money. So I completely agree with that. So actually, that leads me to my next question, which is like, what kind of government's provisions are you attaching to either the equity deal terms or even the, potentially, I, I'm guessing you're using SAFT deal terms? Yeah. So look, the way we look at this is we're, we're, you know, we're a venture funded company. We have investors. We give them reports. We share, you know, so that's the way we, we run the company. We're running it as a company. And so the token is just the token that we're running in coordination with the company, but we're not kind of adding a whole nother level of governance on the company. The company is a company and I have a track record of creating value for my shareholders. You know, you know, the company I win, we sold it for close to a hundred million dollars. Everybody, all the early investors made a lot of money. You know, I've, I've created half a billion dollars worth of value. So most of the people, not a hundred percent, but almost everybody who's invested with Fred Krueger has done actually pretty well. And it, it, it could have taken three years, but you know, we've ha- I've had a lot of exits that have been good, not only for me, but for all, all of the people involved, including the employees. How much money are you targeting to raise in your ICO? So this number keeps on changing a little bit, but I don't believe that we will need more than $15 million. And the reason is that, we believe that the equity is going to be ultimately the way we raise the most money. And we sort of see this ICO thing as jumpstarting the blockchain part of this and jumpstarting the business. But I believe equity is, is ultimately a better way. It's a better way to live. And I think at the end of the day, if we're going to build a very big company here, we're going to need to get some institutional equity investors to come in, add all the controls necessary, and, and take this thing to IPO, not ICO. So, and we have never seen. There's never been an ICO that's done IPO, by the way. Never. You know, I, I think that's the natural progression of this industry is that that there was there's this sort of dual equity and uh, token capital structure. Does that make sense at all? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. It, it'll be really interesting to see because I think we're yeah. still very. Telling my investors, assume Uber started instead of being, you know, instead of starting by having VCs, let's suppose they started the Uber coin, right? Now, how would the, and there was 20 million Uber coins, you know, and they started selling those Uber coins and the exact, the service was exactly the same thing, but you had to pre-fund it with Uber coins, right? How would have those Uber coins appreciated? Well, obviously they would have appreciated great, right? Like it would have been probably the coin of the, you know, far better than Ethereum, you know, would be to have bought the Uber coin because here you have something that's genuinely useful, a great service, and uh, and you you have this Uber coin. Does it mean that Uber itself, the stock would have not been made money? No, because Uber would still be getting all this money and, you know, they would still have this, this stock thing as well. And so it could still IPO. So I think that that's the best practices kind of world that we're heading in is is dual. Now you got me thinking about how much surge would be in that world if uh, there's so much demand for those coins. You know, yeah. But, you know, look, I think here's the bottom line. This is what I posted on Facebook and I got a lot of response to this post, which is why do I believe so much? I still believe very much in crypto. And, and the reason I believe in crypto is, look, these tokens are – they're better than credit cards. They're better than credit cards because 
ultimately transaction costs can get very low when you're dealing with a cryptographic token. And I, I believe once we get to things like EOS, you're going to get to like way below 1% transaction costs, maybe one-tenth of a percent, maybe a hundredth of a percent. Second of all, those tokens can be exchanged via, you know, they can be integrated into machines, like for machine-to-machine um, interaction. And third of all, once once a token's paid, it's paid. <laughs> you know, there's no there's no clawback on a token. So they're perfect for kind of a real integrated machine-to-machine economy, marketplaces, all the rest. They'd be perfect for Uber. And I don't think people would have a problem like replenishing their account with Uber coins. And it's a great way for early adopters to jump on the, the bandwagon. They like the service. Great, I'll just buy a couple thousand Uber coins, you know, and watch it go up. So I think this is a great, great, great model. There's obviously a lot of kinks that have to be done out of the model. But I think it's a great funding model. And now people have to build genuinely useful services that have tokens. And that's that's honestly the thing that concerns me the most is that, you know, look, we're coming out with an app. You know, tomorrow morning you're going to be able to go to our app, buy work coins with Ether, use those work coins. You know, there's a limited amount of services right now today. But – Tomorrow, you'll be able to use it. I don't know of a single iPhone app, or uh, let's just say the iPhone app is still not out, but it'll be out in, in three weeks. But I don't know of a single iPhone app right now other than a wallet that uses blockchain, not a single one. So we've got to get useful applications for these things. And when we do, when we get the Spotify, the Ubers, the, you know, whatever it is, you know, the Shazams that use coins, then this industry is going to start taking off. I had the pleasure of meeting some of your team at the Blockchain Expo, I think uh, a few months ago, I guess, at this stage. And what was really impressive is that Troop Market was one of the only projects there that I had seen that had a you know more or less working product, ensuring that the WorkCoin has an immediate utility at launch. This is kind of a multi-parter, but how many people have listed services and how are you attracting people to list those services? So right now, we just put in like the absolute minute. We have not like super attracted anybody yet. Uh, the way we're going to attract people, and this is what we plan to do this week, okay, is, A, we're going to incentivize people on three levels. First of all, if you sign up, okay, you sign up and you sign up with your LinkedIn profile, so it can't be cheated, you're going to get $5 worth of work coin, okay? That's 50 work points. B, if you create a listing, that, and the listing has to be approved, right? So you can put your freelancing listing, I'm a designer, I create a website, I will create, you know, I will give you 10 design hours for, you know, 500 bucks. We'll give you $20 for creating that listing in WorkCoin. And see if you refer people and they post listings, we're going to give you $5 for every single person you refer. So, you know, this is basically a built-in affiliate program that uses our coins. And by the way, these coins, again, Tomorrow, you will be able to use these coins and transfer them into Ether, okay, the seller. So the seller will be able to, to actually use these coins. So that's how we plan on doing it. We plan on basically making this payout sort of program, we're uh, publicizing it as much as we can. So it's basically the same idea that PayPal used back in the day. How did PayPal get big? They said, hey, open a PayPal account. Go through the paperwork, and you'll find $100 in your account. That's what they did. It's the thing that works the best. What's been the biggest challenge so far then, or I guess surprise that you've encountered in the process of building True Market and WorkCoin? 
and then you know ultimately working your way toward the ICO? So I would say, look, the biggest problem right now is, first of all, blockchains right now, like the Ethereum blockchain is, I would say it's a very difficult uh, blockchain to really fully put everything on the blockchain because of speed and because of transaction costs, right? The gas prices of Ethereum have risen quite a bit. They're very unstable and that's challenging. So I think for the full kind of implementation, we're going to need to have something like EOS where the fees are very, very low for putting stuff on the blockchain. So that's number one. And then kind of as far as the ICO, look, we have basically kept, I would say, a little low profile deliberately because our biggest thing is we think that if, if I can get you to sign up to the app and see the app and use the app, that's a completely different thing than just looking at a white paper. And honestly, I think it's very difficult. There's a lot of noise right now in these white papers. And if I just had a white paper for Troop Market, I would be, I don't know how I would do it. But I do believe I can drive a lot of people to the troopmarket.com website. I can get a lot of people to sign up. I can get a lot of people to list services. So that I believe I have a lot of experience with that. And so our biggest problem, honestly, is just building the app, you know. And so we're almost done with that. And I think the next thing is to be able to prove to people. And I'd love to show you, for example. And to show you, I'm not going to demo it to you. I'm going to give you, I'll give you $100 and you can start using the app this week and just buy a service with it. You know what I mean? That's the proof, right? Like if you sort of see it, hey, this is useful, great. And I'll give you a test flight app and you can buy a service and use the service with your um, with your iOS or Android thing. So that's what I want to do. I, I want to show people rather than tell people all the great things we're going to do. I think showing is proof right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree. I've seen so many, um, not just white papers, but even like sort of vision statements that I, I read and, and I'm just like, I don't know what that means. And I'm not confident that your team can, can execute upon this, but you just raised 50 million bucks. Yeah. And you know what? Part of that really worries me because I will tell you this, there's almost a negative correlation in my experience between teams that raise too much prematurely and actual ability to ship. <laughs> Because I can tell you that when, you know, and I've been in this position multiple times, right? This is one example. But I had a company in 2006, and we raised $25 million for a social network. And this is before Facebook was really clearly the winner, right? So this is between MySpace and Facebook. We raised a lot of money. We were spending money left, right, and center. You know, we had 100 engineers. And did we need 100 engineers? No, <laughs> you know. Uh, did we need to concentrate on like going to Harvard University and getting our product there? That would have been a good idea. You know what I mean? Or Stanford, where Facebook wasn't on Stanford, for example. You know, but we were everywhere at the same time. We spent money on doing everything. We actually rebuilt Pandora. You know, that was one of the things that we built. You know, we had we had 150 people on staff. And, you know, you get very sloppy when you get a lot of money. So... I don't think I think raising money, you know, saying, oh, the company's raised 50 million dollars. My gut feel is they're probably going to get very sloppy. They're not going to get the DNA skills required to survive. And, uh, you know, I think I feel much more threatened by a company that had a killer app and 10 people rather than a company that has 50 million dollars and a bunch of projects on a timeline. So I'm, I'm just sort of naturally skeptical because I've kind of I'm older and I've seen this stuff happen and I've 
and, and I witnessed it happen to me, you know, and I can tell you that having a lot of money in the bank, you know, the first impression is great. We won. And the second impression is, oh, how are we going to make this company actually work, given that we now have all these people and we, we're trying to do too much? And there's also huge expectations. So people, you try to do too much. So. I completely agree, actually. that This is something that I've, I've hoped that people would address at some point. And it sounds like uh, Vitalik Buterin recently announced his, I, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but I'll just call it the DICO, D-A-I-C-O, combining yeah. the decentralized autonomous organizations with the traditional model. Any right. thoughts on this new model and how it will affect how companies are ultimately run? Look, I read the stuff. I, don't, I haven't really 100% grokked it to be honest, but I can tell you that things got to change, right? So, and I think it will change, right? So I think the ICO, I think 2018 is going to be the year that things change. I mean, 2017, the ICO was born. Everybody sort of went for, oh, who's got the original Ethereum team member on their advisory board? Who's got, you know, who's raised $20 million already? Great. Let's give them more money, right? And that investment strategy didn't really work out so well, right? So, you know, you can look at, you know, look at the, the stuff that the best performing things, they've been things like ant shares, you know, that came out super low. Uh, it's not things like Tezos, right? <laughs> you know, so, you know, which had the pedigree and all the rest, you know. So I think we're in this, um, we're in this world where things are going to change. I think people are going to start looking at, oh, let's look at the actual something that they built and let's see if this thing is going to be realistically useful in the next six months. And if not, let's take a really hard look at it. So I think we're going to be back to minimal viable product. You know what I mean? And so essentially getting back to the fundamentals. I think we are. I mean, I, I just think, you know, I could tell you right now that I'm going to take on it. I mean, I saw one company that said they were going to decentralize Amazon. And you know, look, it's just not happening, right? Nobody's decentralizing Amazon. Amazon might come up with a coin, but nobody is taking on Amazon. That is just not happening, right? I think, you know, it's it's easy to say these kind of crazy statements, but I think, you know, the proof is, is the app good? Can I see a path forward? And so on. So that's what I'm I'm interested in is, you know, as an investor also in these things, I want to see things that, that are real, you know, and not like, you know, I'll bash one, Tron, you know. Not real. Copied a bunch of white papers. Not clear at all what advantage they have over any coin, etc. And yet still worth $4 billion, you know. I think we're going to go to things that are much more real, that may start with much more modest valuations and may have more modest goals, but ultimately could get really big if they get traction. So I think 2018 is going to be the year of who's got traction, you know. Who has users? And that's going to be the new gold standard. It's not who has the business plan, who has the advisors. It's going to be who has traction. I mean, that's that's the way the app world works, right? You can you can have the best app in the world, and if you don't have a lot of users, nobody's interested. I am you reminded know? of color when when you say that. A perfect example, right? Like you know, they have Sequoia Capital. They were going to launch at, you know, Diana's wedding or not Diana's wedding, but uh, the the other um, the, oh, the, uh, yeah. Kate Kate's wedding. Right. And founder had sold his company to Apple. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So we don't need more of those, you know. And so 
look, I've sold a bunch of companies, but every single time you start over, you're always at zero. So people should look at me going, yeah, he's got a lot of experience. He's got a lot of connections. Um, but yeah, look, I'm starting at, at zero just like everybody else. But, you know, I'll tell you one thing is I do know how to build an app. I do know how to market and get users. And I think a lot of people just don't understand that. And they haven't even thought of it. So, for example, how many of these ICOs have even thought of putting a mobile app or have any idea for a mobile strategy? Very few. Everybody today is accessing the world on this. If you're whatever you're doing, your D app does not have a connection with here, you know, and here is uh well, I won't show you because you're on a podcast, but look, I mean, we've got Troop Market running 100% on both Android and iPhone. It connects with the website. It connects with the desktop app that we're, gonna, we're building. But I would say, you know, CryptoKitties does not run on mobile. There's no CryptoKitties mobile app. There's not even planned. So there's no mobile Ethereum full node. So I just think there's a lot of, a lot of people have just not thought through the consumer level implications of this stuff. Does that make any sense? Absolutely. I, I would almost say that like Troop Market is a bit further along in some sense than yeah. For <laughs> being that this is uh, audio, uh, I should clarify yeah. that Fred's been showing uh, showing me his app over video. <laughs> yeah. But um, uh, but it's architecturally built. So look, I will say this: we architected this thing right from the get go, from the first day we started this, to say it's got to run on iPhone, it's got to run on Android. It's got to connect to the the hub, the main hub. You got to be able to build fund the thing with crypto. You got to be able to fund it with credit cards as well in a sort of interim period. But the problem is, if you set this thing up entirely as a D app, you're not going to get it to be able to run in, as a mobile. Like you know, architecturally, you're in trouble. So you know, you got to set start with the right architecture. Otherwise, you're your host. And I think a lot of people have you know who are not sort of software people who've not done this, who've not made the mistakes once before, right? Because you don't get it right the first time. You have to kind of try and try and different things. If you don't have the right architecture, you're not going to be building something that consumers are going to want. <laughs> and I'll give you an example. Take a look at like Ethlands, okay? That's that's sort of a, it's, it's a project um, among other projects from District 0X, right? But that project does not run, there's no Ethlands app. The price of your services are put in Ether. There's just a lot of reasons why this is just architecturally not sound. I'm not just saying we're further ahead. I'm just saying we built it from the right way from the get-go. That's all. I want to talk a little bit about the constantly moving legal target and, and the SEC. At the time of this interview, the government has been shut down for a few days now. So I'd be curious as to how the shutdown has affected the ICO process in communication with the SEC for you, as well as how you're addressing the constantly shifting landscape of regulation. Okay, so first of all, SEC is one problem. But it's not even the biggest problem, right? So I would say the biggest problem is class action lawsuits because, you know, this whole thing is we're in this sort of unregulated world. And what that means is that somebody can come in, they could invest in a public sale, they could invest $1,000, and then a, you know, class action lawyer could come, take their case, and then sue you for $20 million, you know. And that's, I think, the biggest risk. With respect to the SEC, I think it's a rolling landscape. And I think from our perspective, we 
want to take very, very, very limited American investors. And I, the only ones that we're really targeting are funds and, you know, super high net worth accredited investors. I do not want to do a public sale with unaccredited U.S. investors. I think that it's just it's asking for trouble. Uh, I think the other thing that's asking for trouble is any form of SAFT agreement, because I think raising money for a product that's not built is by definition very dangerous. You know, that is you're basically talking about funding a project. And, you know, that's something the SEC clearly does not like. It doesn't mean that even if your product is built, that you're going to be 100 percent in the clear, because if you start offering dividends or any other kind of thing, you're definitely a security. But I think, the, you know, the bar to check to become a utility token is now much higher. Right. First of all, you need to have a real app. The app needs to really genuinely use the token and not, you know, it, it's got to be like front center. It's got to be used and, uh, and it's got to be used before you raise the money. You know, which raises the question, what are you raising the money for, right? Because it's it can't be just to develop the app. It can be to further develop the app. It can be to market and promote the app, but it can't be to build something from scratch. I do not believe that's going to work, at least in the U.S., and probably very soon in the rest of, you know, the EU, uh, the G20 even, you know. So, look, it's, it's something that we're very, very, very concerned with. And, um, you know, in my case, we are going to take the most conservative position at all times. Why? Because I don't want to get in trouble. I think that our, our product will do fantastic even without an ICO. And I don't want to take any personal liability. I don't want to have my investors take liability. So we're going to take a very conservative path. And I would urge other people to do the same. I see some familiar faces on your advisor team, and you've put together an impressive cohort of SoCal support. Yeah. As a Southern California founder, or as a former Southern California founder, I found it much harder to raise money and grow a business than it has been in the Bay Area. How important has the LA tech ecosystem been to the progress you've made to date? Well, surprisingly, right? I mean, that always used to be the case up until last year. If you were talking in 2016, Raising money in Southern California was always challenging, right? Because we have down here, we have a limited amount of, of VC funds. You know, we, we're starting to get an ecosystem, but it's still very small. And we probably have, you know, one twentieth as many angels as in the Bay Area, right? However, in blockchain, I would say LA is equivalent, if not even slightly ahead of San Francisco, the Bay Area. And, you know, a lot of that is my good friend, Brock Pierce, who has been sort of evangelizing Bitcoin for now five years. And, you know, suddenly the world listened last year. And around Brock, if you look, you know, look, there's the WAX token, there's the V token, there's, uh, you know, there's just a lot of stuff that's happening in L.A. at this point, potentially more than in the Bay Area. In the Bay Area, you have like Filecoin and things like that. But you know, I would say Brock in one way or another is, is attached to now half of the ICOs that have been done. Wow. So I think both are important, but like SoCal is not, not a second class citizen anymore in, mm. in this world. That, that, that's really great to hear, actually. I'm curious, as a multi-time founder, what's been your observation of how this cycle, whether it's from a fundraising or whether it's just from a general excitement perspective, uh, how is it different than it's been in the past? Well, look, I mean, I'd say in terms of excitement, I think this entirely the level of excitement has, you know, hasn't been seen since dot com clearly. Right. So, 
You know, there there clearly hasn't been anything in, from 2001 till 2017 that has gotten anywhere close to the overall excitement of blockchain. You know, because what are we talking about here? We're talking about changing money, changing payment. That's a big deal. Is that bigger than changing kind of the transmission of information? Potentially, right? Like some people have said that. Uh, I don't know. It, it could be, right? So it could be Internet 2.0. I'm not saying it's not. We we definitely have to do things to to make it that. I don't believe Bitcoin is that. I mean, I've said that on record that I I'm skeptical of Bitcoin kind of moving to become the real cornerstone of infrastructure for all this stuff. But I feel like blockchain is it. I, I do believe that we're going to see this kind of vision of you know the tokenized world happen over the next couple of years. So I think the excitement level is amazing. Obviously, you know, the, the funding levels have been amazing for early stage projects, right? So it's now definitely bigger than early stage venture capital and angel investing. And so, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's amazing, right? So on the other hand, there's a bunch of bad actors sort of coming into the space. I think if, if you look at kind of the funding world, the, the you know, the angel funding world, you know, it, it was difficult to get angel funding. It's difficult, very difficult to get venture funding. So there has been a, sele- a better selection. On the other hand, there's a bunch of ICOs that clearly should not have happened. And there's a bunch of people, a bunch of actual scam artists in doing ICOs, you know, and, you know, that there were some of which were shut down already. But that's what worries me is that there's, you know, two, we do need some self-regulation and we do need, probably need some regulation of these things. The ideas are great. Blockchain's great. But, you know, it's it's a little bit the Wild West. And that's that has its benefits and its drawbacks. For those it's less, the yeah. Wild West than, it, than dot com was, right? So. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. There will be uh, your, your – I don't even know if it's going to be occasional, but certainly there will be uh, some of your, I don't know, flus and, and uh, pets.com and, and some of those other things. Well, you know, it's interesting about flus that you bring it up because that's a pretty good example of a coin that actually failed – because of credit cards, right? So what happened is people bought a ton of flus with credit cards and they used that thing to uh, to buy some TVs in quantity, right? I think it was TVs. And then it was stolen credit cards. So had flus actually been crypto and there was actual, you know, it was actual processes to get that, not just buy it from flus.com using credit cards, that could have worked, right? <laughs> So, you know, and Whoopi Goldberg could be a billionaire. So, you know, it's not definitely some of these ideas were good. But like, you know, the actual crypto token and that economy, I think it's a I think I think it's very significant. Right. So and I do think that there's going to be something really big coming out. Of, and I think it's going to be a consumer level thing. I mean, that that's my bet. Right. My, and if I'm wrong. Troop won't work, right? Because if the average person still just buys crypto just to look at it on their Coinbase account, and if that's the behavior at the end of 2018, I am not going to get a lot of people to sign up for Troop Market. And I think people are going to get sick of crypto and they're going to be like, okay, this stuff's not happening. On the other hand, if you know Telegram starts integrating crypto, if Snap starts integrating crypto, if Facebook does a coin, you know, if Troop Market becomes the place you go to look for freelancers, especially in the crypto community, I think you're going to see a major, major difference in how we perceive crypto. Because right now, it's kind of this speculative thing. 
I think that we are maybe maybe three six months away from it to start being a utility thing. You know what I mean? Where your first experience of an app is, oh, I got this app. It came with a little crypto, and I can start using it right now. And now I can fund the app, get more crypto, use it even more. And that's what I think is going to be the aha moment when people start saying, oh, I can use this crypto. You know what I mean? And I, I think there's going to be a lot of usages. But I think that people right now, because it's so new, right, the whole thing is really just a year old you know, on a mass scale. And I think we need products, I keep on saying EOS, but we need to have scalable blockchains. We need to have cheap gas. And once we have that, once we have some a real app ecosystem that's developed on it, and, and it could be like Filecoin, right? Like people start storing stuff there. I don't know. There's a lot of these things that could, could, could work. But I think we're going to start seeing massive usage of this thing. And that massive usage is what's going to change things. So for those listening who are then interested in starting their own blockchain business or hold their ICO, what is the best piece of advice that you can offer them? Don't focus on just how do I raise money. Focus on identifying an actual application that would benefit from crypto. And how would it benefit? So don't say, I'm going to apply crypto to insurance, okay? If you're going to do that, figure out what is the way that crypto can make the app better. Uh, there's 2 million apps in the App Store. Now, which ones of those could be made much better with crypto? Not all of them, you know what I mean? I mean, I go back to Amazon. I think Amazon works just fine the way it is. So find things that are broken right now and that crypto could solve those things. And there's a bunch of them, you know, and I, I, I just don't know what those, you know, I don't know. A lot of these things that we'll know once people start getting the apps get traction. I think but, only time will tell for many of these things. <laughs> we've got to find we've got to find real use cases for this stuff. And I believe they're really out there. So that's what I would do. I try to figure out use cases. And I think if, if you can really at least conceptualize how the stuff's going to actually be used, I think you're going to see big, big companies created out of this stuff. So I think no. that's actually, yeah, this is, a, this is a great point, I think, to, to transition right into our quick fire round, allowing sure. our listeners to get to learn a little bit more about you personally. So I'd like to start off with, uh, what's your favorite book? Uh, my favorite book, you know, I'll tell you what my favorite book is, and it's a new book. It's called Sapiens, and it's basically the story of modern man, and uh, it's definitely the best book I've read in the last 12 months. And it's how did we evolve as a species from apes? And if you know, the, the, the quick thing is, if you took a chimpanzee on an island, a desert island, or a man, which one's going to work, succeed? The chimp's probably going to outperform the man. If you take 10 chimpanzees or 10 men, which ones are going to do better? Still 10 chimps. But if you take 100 chimps or 100 men, the 100 men will do much better. So it, this book really goes into how are men really great at kind of communicating and creating stories that they can tell each other and organizing as a society. It's a fantastic book. So that would be my favorite book. What do you collect, if anything, and why? I used to collect stamps as a kid, um, but I'm not much of a collector right now. I kind of live pretty minimally. I, like, I, I prefer to have an unencumbered existence. What's one thing that you spend too much money on that you don't regret? Uh, I would say books. Even if I don't read them, I'm happy having them. What band or artist would you travel 500 miles to see? Uh, it would have to be classical. I would say Hilary Han, who's, in my opinion, the world's best violinist. And if she, she was performing Bach 
I will definitely travel 500 miles to see her. <laughs> awesome. Well, we were right at that point in the show where I give the platform to you to plug anything that you like. What I would like to do is to encourage your listeners to go to troopmarket.com to sign up and to get some free WorkPoint. That's what I'd like you to do. And if anybody listening is a freelancer, um, I would encourage them to come and create a listing. And we'll pay you $20 worth of WorkCoin to just create a listing. So if you already are on Upwork, if you're on Fiverr, create a listing and you know we'll try to promote it. And we're going to drive some traffic here in the next couple months. So people will have a good chance of looking at your listing. If you're, especially if you're in crypto and you're doing some kind of service that a person in the crypto community could find useful, list that service, right? Because we're going to feature things like hashtag blockchain, hashtag ICO, hashtag, you know, law. And we're looking for crypto lawyers, you know, uh, people who can read white papers. So this is also a great way to get plugged into the crypto community, right? It's like, we're going to, you know, Mike Turpin, who handles our PR, is going to be recruiting all of his people on our platform. So get on the platform, get a profile there. Very simple. Takes a minute. Create one or two listings and we'll give you give you some cash to do it. And you can use that cash to buy other services. So that's my plug. Awesome. Well, Fred, I'd like to thank you for joining me on the show today. And it's been a huge pleasure sharing the Troop Market and WorkCoin story. I've gotten a chance to check out the app and meet the team, and it's it's a beautiful product, and I think it's a prime use case for the blockchain considering the trend of freelancing and contracting, and I think this will disrupt how work gets done worldwide. So it's going to help freelancers earn more while reducing the cost for those requesting to work, and it's a great product and a great business. Again, thank you so much for your, you. sharing your story on the VentureForth podcast. Thank you very much. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe to the VentureForth podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. You can also follow at VentureForthPod on Twitter for our latest updates. As always, I'm your host, Joe Mahavutivani, and thank you for listening to the VentureForth podcast.